Good morning, everybody. I love seeing all your faces here, um, meeting some new individuals. I uh, just absolutely love, I love meeting new peeps. Um, we are diving into a new series today. So if you would, go to 1 Kings 19. And uh, the more I prepare for today, the more I realize that the whole series could have been just out of 1 Kings 19. We're not going to do that. Um, but this has been a series that I have been preparing for for three and a half years. Um, why that long? Because that's how long it took me to write Speaking from the Shadows. And I knew that when this book was going to come out that we would do a series called Speaking from the Shadows. And if you've been with uh, K First for especially since maybe 2019, 2018, um, I, the Lord purposed in my heart to do what I call an emotional series once a year where we would dive into uh, emotional topics, things in Scripture that uh, we don't always talk about in the church world. And uh, I don't know if you grew up hearing stigmas and such about depression. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Um, but I grew up in that, and I'm also somebody that deals with depression. And so this book has been three and a half years of in the making and working and uh, wanting to do a series that just dove into a topic that for some it's taboo, for others have told me to, that this is wrong to even preach about. I've even heard preachers say things about this being very demonic, uh, that if you are... If you deal with depression, there's something more wrong with you than anything else. I've heard all sorts of ridiculousness, and we are going to shed light into a dark, dark subject, and we are going to pro proclaim the name of Jesus uh, in this place and in people's lives. And uh, two, two main, uh, very meaningful messages that I got regarding this was one from a pastor's wife on the east side of the state that just started off saying, somebody else gets it. And it's... it's it's been the past uh, decade since I really kind of began to talk more about the, my own depression that it just shocks me. Well, it doesn't shock me. It uh, astounds me that pastors feel like they can't talk about it personally as well as from the pulpits. And uh, so having a good conversation with a pastor's wife, getting um, her some understanding. And then this morning, got a message from a former staff member that I served with up in Midland that... He wrote me this morning, he says, you know, for years, uh, he was, my, my, my sister has gone through depression, so I've always described her as being broken, not realizing I used the wrong terminology. She's fractured, not broken. And talked about with fracture, there's still connection. With brokenness, there's no connection at all. And so um, if you deal with depression, I wrote this for you. If you don't and you know people who are and you want to know how to connect with them, this book is for you too. They're available at the Connection Center after the service. They're cheaper to get here than online. Uh, but we want to make these available to you. If, if you don't have any money for, at all for a book, you just tell us and, and we're just, we'll bless you. Uh, we're not here to make money off of you. We're here to help resource you and resource your walk with Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word this morning? I am so stoked. 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. What are they talking about? 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah stands in the face of 850 prophets who challenge Elijah. Elijah challenges them. Whosoever God sends fire, that's the real God. 850 men are da jumping, dancing, cutting themselves all in the name of their God, and nothing happens. And Elijah shows up. Uh, maybe not the most godly thing. He mocks them. Some of you have the spirit of mocking in your life. I'm here to tell you, sarcasm is not a fruit of the spirit. But it's fun sometimes. 
And he calls down fire, and God sends fire, and 850 prophets of Baal are put to the sword. And then, later in the chapter, they had gone through years of drought, and he calls down rain to come down upon the land and refresh the land. So, king, the king contacts Jezebel and says, here's what happened. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, did not send an army, she made a Facebook post, tagged Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So after that post, verse 3, he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down underneath the broom tree, and asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Isn't it amazing that some of the most beautiful things that God tells us to do is take a nap and then eat something? That revival break out there. And he looked, and behold... There was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and he drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came in a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of the food, 40 days and nights at Horeb, the mount of God. Holy Spirit, open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our souls this morning, God, that we would receive from you, Lord, for every single soul this morning that has tasted of the darkness, the shadows of depression, hopelessness, anxiety. For those, God, struggling in their mental health, I pray this morning that the breath of God would breathe upon weary souls, causing healing and deliverance in Jesus' name. For those that don't deal with it, Lord, I pray that you would put a fire in our bellies that would desire not to avoid those that are hurting, but, God, that we would move with that fire ready to speak, let there be light in the middle of dark moments, Lord, causing us to be fully present, fully aware, and fully engaging with one another because we are your community, your body. So, Lord, meet with us today. Challenge our hearts. Change us. Heal people. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, before you're seated, do two things. Give somebody a high five, and secondly, tell them how terrible candy corn is, all right? Nobody knows how to divide a church like a pastor. <laughs> I was talk, talking with a counselor the other, uh, uh, the other day, and he's, he's like, you know, I just friend you on Facebook, and you're a very deep thinker. I'm like, you haven't followed me all that long. I will use food posts to divide the masses. Goodness gracious. Um, have you ever noticed kids, when they've done something wrong, how they will act as if nothing's wrong? Ever seen a kid do that, whether it was your niece or your nephew or son, your daughter, grandkids, your teacher? Something goes wrong, and they will act as if they were oblivious to the whole thing. Kids are terrible liars. But I will tell you this. I was a good liar. Was. 
was, past tense. My sister and I, we were talking, uh, we were up in Mackinac celebrating my parents' 50th anniversary, and we were just sharing stories from our childhood. I said, do you remember the day I broke your tooth? And she goes, you did that? I'm like, oh, you were a little young, weren't you? And the scenario was this. So this is like early, early 80s. This is like 1981-ish. And we were, well, she's playing outside my bedroom. And how many of you older brothers know, you just don't want your sister near you at times. One amen over here. The rest of you brothers are scared to death of your sisters. I am too. But she doesn't watch my live stream, so we're okay. So... She was out there playing. I just wanted her to go away, and she had her little grocery cart. In the 80s, it seemed like everybody had these little yellow and or, orange and yellow little plastic grocery. Some of you know exactly. I see head shaking. There's a little grocery cart. She, she's playing. She's putting her toys in there. So I grabbed the handle, and I pushed her. I'm like, go away. She's like, David, stop, which doesn't make David stop. So she pulls it away, so I pull it back. She pulls it forward. She pulls it back. I know she's going to pull it forward, so I push when she pulls, Causes her to go head over heels, face first into the linoleum, and she screams, and I immediately step into my bedroom, close my door quietly, and I listen for my dad, because when you live in a mobile home, the sounds of dad's footsteps sound like the feet of God. They come on up, and I'm shivering, I'm like, like, Lord, just lead me during this moment, which the Lord was not going to lead me, but... Dad comes in, and he's picking her up, and I open up the door. I'm like, what happened? Dad, she's like, oh, no, she broke a tooth. Don't worry. It was a baby tooth. It's okay. Those are okay to break. Ish. And so picks her up, and and they got to take her to the dentist, so on and so forth. And I'm just like, I wonder how that happened, Dad. She must have been playing on on her toy. She's playing on her grocery cart. And, Dad, I told you how dangerous that is. Now I'm making stuff up here. But I remember just kind of walking around and just acting like, I'm fine, I'm okay, and just going to act like everything is just okay. And it wasn't until Mackinac where she looked at me, she says, you broke my tooth. Like all of a sudden the trauma has come rushing back in after 40 plus years. And she's like, you are such a jerk. She calls me a jerk a lot nowadays because stories are coming up that she forgot all about. And I haven't because they were funny in the moment. But how many of us have had things happen to us and we just try to play off as if, we're just okay. We try to act as if nothing's wrong. We do it well at work. We do it well in the neighborhoods. Sometimes we do it well at home. And quite frankly, we are great at playing that game here in church. But when it comes to even mental health, depression, anxiety, many times we don't want to admit what we are going to. We spend all of our time trying to play off and act in such a way that nobody sees what we're really dealing with. We try to act as if nothing is wrong. And we are trying to fool other people, and many times just trying to fool ourselves. And when someone walks up and they see something, and we can just sense if something's wrong in somebody else's heart, and when somebody has the the daring enough to say, how are you doing? Our response is like, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody, say, how are you doing today, Pastor? It's been a rough week. I'm sorry to even say that to you. I'm like, why are you sorry? This is the way we ought to be in church where we don't have to act like we're put together. We could talk about not being put together. We can walk through scenarios and talk through things and learn that the body is here to help be the body for each other. And yet, we 
not just play off that we have to have it together, but many times in churches, we give off the ethos that you have to act like you have it all together. You know how it says in the Bible, fake it till you make it? Some of you are like, it's gotta be in Deuteronomy, I've never read that before. No, it doesn't say that. But I remember years ago, it was the day that Robert Williams took his life, in September, excuse me, August the 11th, 2014. It was the day that I chose that I would never be silent about mental health ever again. Never again. Because in my brain, I thought to myself, if I could prevent one more suicide, if I could give somebody one more moment just to say, somebody understands that I'm gonna keep talking about it, and I'm gonna keep having conversations about it. We're gonna keep being open about it. And at the same time, on that day where I wrote my, my first blog about a call from the heart of, de- of a depressed pastor, doesn't that make you wanna click on and read that? And I was shaking just writing it, thinking to myself, man, the board's gonna ask for my resignation. Uh, people are gonna, just gonna leave the church. Uh, what's my wife gonna think? What's my kids gonna think? Do they want a depressed dad? And, and the reality is they knew their dad had dealt with it, but it was just this moment of what do I do with this? How do I navigate this? But in my brain, I have to talk about it. And honestly, all day long, nothing but positive feedback from people. I was getting messages from countless ministers and missionaries from different parts of the globe saying, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? Who do I talk to? Who do you talk to? And it just thrilled my heart. And then I get a phone call from a friend that I wanted to come speak, a missionary that is world renowned. And I pick up the phone and he goes, hey, is this the depressed pastor? I'm like, yeah, it, it is. He goes, if I say the wrong thing, are you going to go hang yourself? And I went silent. And everything in me wanted to hang up, which I should have done, and then go to my, and go to my computer and delete the whole blog. Because in that moment, the thing that I feared most, all of a sudden came at me, that how many other people feel this way? Who else is going to see things this way? Who's gonna speak these type of things? Why can't, I can't talk about this thing? Because then I started getting messages here and there from pastors and saying, listen, you've got a good life. What do you have to be depressed about? Pastor, I don't understand. Now let me, let's be real. Everything on paper will tell you, Dave Berger, he's got a good life. I have phenomenal parents. Mom, if you're watching, Mom and Dad, I love you. You did a great job. Phenomenal parents. By the way, if you didn't know about Rachel and the broken tooth, sorry about that. Phenomenal parents. I've got an unbelievable wife that had mercy on me 25 years ago and married me. And every single day is an act of mercy when she stays married to me. Wonderful wife. My kids are outstanding. Cammy and Josh, Ethan and Claire, I am a blessed man. To serve this congregation in this city, we were just talking the other day, we are 14 and a half years here, which is longer than both of our other pastoral assignments combined. This is our home. We love this Kalamazoo area. And on paper, my life is phenomenal. I have a great position, great people to serve, great city, great family. But I'm here to tell you that I still have those moments where mentally and emotionally where I find myself asking me, how did I get here And secondly, how do I get out of it? Have you ever been to a place 
mentally and emotionally where he asks the question, how did I arrive at this place? Followed by, how do I even get out of this? I fell into a hole I didn't know existed. And at the same time, I don't even know how to get out of this hole because I don't even know how I got in there. And if I knew that, maybe that was the way out. Does anybody understand in the house what it's like to be in a dark place? And this is the stuff we ought to be able to talk about in church. I want to make a statement this morning that we're going to say over and over this month. If we do not get clarity on how to follow Jesus in the most confusing cultural issues and the stuff we feel the most as humans, we're going to have a discipleship that does not impact our daily lives. If we don't talk about the stuff, dark feelings, Moments in culture that are shifting, that are going contrary to the word of God and what the design of God is. If we don't talk about it, then our discipleship, our spiritual formations will be shallow at best and it won't impact our daily lives. Because you will never overcome that which you choose to ignore. We will never overcome what we choose to ignore. Well, well pastor, just pray about it. Thank you for that, vo- that, that voice of wisdom right there. I will try to do that. Well, pastor, are you sure you're reading enough of the Bible? Pastor, whenever you feel darkness, just put on a worship song. I wish it was really that good. Do I do some of those things? You better believe it. There are songs that mean a lot. For example, the song Defender. When I thought I lost me, you know where to find me. Songs that speak to my heart, but it's just not a one small fix. But you can't overcome what you choose to ignore. And you can't wish it away as if bippity-boppity-boom, it's just going to go. So this morning, let me give you two qualifying, two qualifying statements this morning that I really want to address before we dive into Elijah, because I've only got a few minutes here. Number one, there are some very real biological reasons for depression. I want to say that. I am one of those individuals. There are some real biological reasons for depression. But here's my caution. If, it, if we allow biology to control the entire narrative of depression, we will miss out on solutions. Biology is involved, but it's not always involved. And if it's only biology, we will miss out on solutions. See, I want you to understand something. Depression is not a malfunction. It's a signal. I need that to sink deep down in your spirits. For those of you like a friend of mine who wrote me this morning and says, I just thought my sister was broken. Listen, there's a difference between going through brokenness and feeling like you're broken. Despair, you're going through brokenness. Depression, you are broken. That's the mentality. So depression is... It's not a malfunction. It's a signal of something that's happened deep, deep down within our spirits, something deep down in our emotions, something deep within our, within our mentality. So many times, they just have depression. The depression is telling you something has to be healed. Something is deep down that could be off, that, that is in a place that needs the healing work of the Spirit of God. And the second thing I'll say, my second qualifying statement, is there is a stigma, a very real stigma around it, especially in the church. When I turned 42, I joined the rest of my family by putting something on my face every single day. I've had the best eyes all my life. My, do- my sister, my parents, my wife, my kids, everybody wears glasses, and I've loved not being a glasses person, but it, when I turned 42, 
all of a sudden I had to start wearing readers. Because, you know, preaching and leaning like this just, just doesn't work. And then a couple years ago, these became full-time. Now I wear them all the time. Because there's just something about, you know, watching a Lions game and not seeing the score. Then you get glasses, you're like, I should have kept the glasses off to begin with. Except for this year, by the way. Super Bowl on their way to win. That was horrible English right there. But what, know what really encouraged me? is that when I developed a deficiency in my eyes and my eyes were not working at its, their peak, you know what really encouraged me is that when I did something that I needed to do in order to help me and I started wearing glasses, not a single one of you wrote me letters that said, Pastor Dave, where is your faith? Some of you are writing letters right now. Nobody sent me texts. Nobody tagged me in a Facebook post. I wish my pastor, who will go unnamed, tagged Dave Berenger. I wish he would have more faith and not do things that are necessary to help him with something that is not running at its peak. But this is what happens when it comes to our mental health, is that there's somebody is struggling in their mental health, which their mental health is connected to their physical body and their spiritual body. We're physical beings, mental beings, emotional beings, and spiritual beings. But if something goes wrong with the mental and emotional, and people have to get counseling, or people have to get on a medication to help them out a little bit, when people are doing those necessary things, we begin to stigmatize that and say, don't do that, that's a lack of faith. We're okay with glasses, we're not okay with counseling. And believe me, I know pastors out there. I had one that went toe to toe with, he says, counseling is all demonic. I'm like, bro, you're demonic. I wasn't a very nice guy that day. I wasn't very pastoral, but we started going back and forth on the issue of mental health. And it's like, if people just prayed more, I'm like, oh brother, please, please, please get out of the pulpit. I literally said that to him. Not the nicest thing in the world. Again, I wasn't being very pastoral, but we had quite the strong talk. Because we get to the place where there's a stigma, and it's no wonder why those that deal with depression and anxiety and worries and things, why when they come to a place where we try to, try to dress up and look our best and to put on a facade and we don't always share everything we go through, it makes them want to hide and to cower because everybody's doing, doing great. I must be the one that's only broken here. But what I love about the scriptures, if you read it from cover to cover, is there is not a single perfect human being other than Jesus Christ. And the more you dive into the scriptures, the more you see the imperfections of all of these individuals. Like one of my favorite, favorite people in scripture is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the what type of prophet? Anybody know? The weeping prophet. Pastor, you're the weeping pastor. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll cling to that. But Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. In fact, he wrote the book of Lamentations. Do you know what Lamentations means? Crying. I need to cry. Let me write a book about my crying. That's Lamentations. Let me read you a scripture. Lamentations 3, 17 through 20. I have been deprived of peace. Has anybody ever been deprived of peace? I've forgotten what prosperity is. In other words, nothing is working in my life right now. So I say, my splendor's gone, and all that I hope from, from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering and my bitterness in the gall. Listen to that. My splendor's gone, and all that I had hoped to get from God is gone. Have you ever wondered where is God in the middle of your brokenness and your darkness? That's Jeremiah. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. 
It's like, man, this is not the most encouraging scripture. No wonder why I've never read Lamentations before. Well, then you even get to the New Testament. And the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. It says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we, we experience in Asia. For we, we, we were so utterly beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. In other words, we were in such a dark place, we didn't think we could take it any longer. Have you ever been in the place where you just couldn't take life any longer? I have. And that's what has always brought me back to Elijah. The book of James will say, Elijah was a man just like us, a human just like all of us. And yet Elijah was so blatantly open about his darkness here, and that's what we've got. And so, 1 Corinthians 19, excuse me, 1 Kings 19, we get this story that we have read, and the story happens after a great spiritual victory. This great moment has taken place. And again, all he got was a message. Somebody sent him a text. Somebody sent a little note. Somebody made a post on Facebook. Somebody, I said slid into his DMs, but that's a whole different thing right there. Somebody sent him a message. And in that moment, he finds himself running a day into the wilderness by himself and holes up inside of a cave. And I love that cave right there because I believe it's a beautiful metaphor for depression. Why does a cave really represent depression well? Because it's disorienting, it's dark, it's lonely, and things just don't feel right in the cave. Now again, there's, when it comes to depression, there are factors that you can absolutely connect to biology, but I'm, I want to talk about the opposite this morning, that there's some that you can track that are not connected to biology, that I want to just talk about six triggers this morning, and my few moments left, six triggers that I want you to identify, to look at, and begin to guard your life with. If you're a note taker, it's a great morning to take notes. Number one, write this down. Write down life imbalances. Life imbalances. It's an author, uh, Johan Hardy, who wrote in his book called Lost Connections that says, we need to stop talking about chemical imbalances and more about the imbalances and the way that we live. It doesn't mean we stop talking about the chemical, but so often, if, if we're feeling depressed, we immediately go toward the biology and we haven't asked ourselves if we have been living such an imbalanced life day to day that is actually adding into where we are at. Look at Elijah. He comes from a high moment. Defeated 850 prophets of Baal, called down rain. He came off a great victory, and coming off that great victory, it seems like sometimes when we have big days and big moments that we let up a little bit, and some of us have our darkest moments right after big victories. I had read this, this article about skiers in Colorado, and they said 90% of all of the injuries on the Colorado ski slopes happen in the last hour of the day, 90%. Why? Number one, they're tired. And number two, they are the most confident they are out of the entire day. They are tired and they're the most confident. And the problem is this, is I think that we have developed an arrogance as just individuals, especially in America, where we worship our schedules. 
and our overpacked, overworked, multitasking lives, and we get so packed in that we get this arrogance that this is doable, this is the way we can live, and the reality is it was never supposed to be doable that way, and it was never meant to sustain our lives. It was Stephen Alardi who said in the book, the, the, the Depression Cure, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. Ecclesiastes says it best. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil. But that's the American way. We don't want one dollar, two dollars is better. We don't want one donut, two donuts is. We don't want one wife, two wives is bad. We get this philosophy. One is good. Two is better. And we don't, we get, we, we stop with the contentment of what God has given us. We have to strive for more because this is where our identity is. We begin to strive after this because if we can have more, we can have more. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. Y'all need to sit with me with some people at the end of their life and talking to them about what matters most. They never talk about the money. They never talk about the jobs. They never talk about their pace. They talk about their grandkids. They talk about their children. They talk about one more hug, one more moment, slowing down life. We were never meant to live in a place of life in balance and some of us are sending ourselves into dark places because we have not balanced out our lives we haven't that leads me to number two comparing ourselves we compare ourselves with others it is elijah i believe it's in verse three he said this uh excuse me no verse number four he says i am no better than my father some translations say this i am no better than my ancestors i'm no better why, why did his ancestors even come up in this moment? He gets to this dark place and begins to look at his own life. And it's, begin, it's like he begins to compare himself and begins to look at what the ancestors done and their failures. And all of a sudden, he comes off a big win and he feels like he has failed in that moment. Like everything was riding high. Everything was good. Wait, somebody wants to kill me. All of a sudden, everything is gone. Everything is dead in my life. And I am no better than the people around me. But this is what we do as Americans. This is what we use social media for. That which we call, that we wanted to use to connect it is now our measuring point. We are so busy trying to keep pace with everybody else's life and comparing ourselves to what they, what they have, why they have it, and what they're actually doing with it. Galatians 6 says, each one should test their own actions and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else for each should carry their own load. Some of us are so busy carrying everybody else's load and caring about what everybody else is doing and if we took the time that we put into caring about what other, everybody else is doing and actually invested that into that which gives us peace, we would find ourselves in a less darkened place. Elijah was not gonna stand before God for his ancestors. He was gonna stand before God for his own calling. Some of you, you're never gonna stand behind, before God and you're not gonna talk about everybody else. You're gonna stand before God as a, an account of yourself. Get yourself in a place. Stop comparing yourself with others. Number three, ruminating and self-talk. Ruminating and self-talk. Verse 10, Elijah and God are talking. And Elijah says, says this, I've been very jealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel. They've forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I am the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now this is where Elijah starts going into a dark place to the point where he is believing his own lies. 
I'm the only one that's ever been passionate for you. And I think, you know what? I know I am the only one that's left. None of that was true, but there are times you get into a dark place and you begin to rehearse thoughts in your head and you start believing the lie that is inside your brain. This is called ruminating. Ruminating, what is ruminating? It's when you take your distress, you chew on it, begin to process it in your soul, and then you bring it back up and you start ruminating on it again. Some of y'all are really, really good at this. Somebody said something to me, somebody did something, and so you will process it, digest it, reprocess it, digest it. You're working through every scenario. Why do I, why do you, I know you do that? Because I do that. Pastor Dave, I need to meet with you. Oh, what did I do this time? What did I say? I didn't cuss from the pulpit. I didn't wear anything inappropriate. I didn't do this. What did I post? And we tend to chew on it. And it's no different from what a cow does. A cow will eat grass. This is so beautiful to say on a Sunday morning. Will chew on it, swallow it, bring it back up. A little less pleasant than what it was before, but chew on it nonetheless. Swallow it. Bring it back up more disgusting, rinse and repeat. Now, some of you are like, why are we doing this right before lunch? Because quite honestly, this, this is what we do with our thoughts. We chew on it, take it in. Lord Jesus, I give it to you. Pull it back up, chew on it even more, and whatever, it, whatever we sent it down with, we take it to the next step. And all of a sudden, before the enemy has ever tried to defeat us, we've defeated ourselves. Man, this is what your pastor does on Sunday afternoons. Sunday morning to me could come off like a big victory, but coming off of a big victory, all of a sudden I get to Sunday afternoons and I start self-doubting and start telling my things over and over and over and over. This is why, honestly, I watch sports in the after Sunday afternoons. That's why I take naps. So like today, I'm gonna go cut the grass because it brings me joy. That's why I go rock climbing on Sunday evenings because if stuck in a place coming off of a victory, I am more apt to try to digest everything that I did wrong or the one ill comment on the live stream that I happened to, to, to catch and I take that and I digest it and all of a sudden it leads me into this dark place. Brian Tracy says it this way, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way that you talk to yourself. Paul would say it this way, we destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Instead of chewing on it, take it captive in Jesus' name. You can't stop a thought from coming in your brain, but you can take control over what it's doing to you. Instead, we ruminate in self-talk. We give it to the Lord. Philippians, Paul says it this way, Whatever is true, whatever, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about that. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what? The God of peace. He'll be with you. Olivia, if you can come on up, help me to shut up here. Number four, the inability to process pain in a healthy way. Here's Elijah. Instead of processing his pain, he is running. Instead of facing the issue, he just runs and he is inviting darkness in. And I think many of us have a wrong concept of what this earth was designed for and quite frankly what God 
is meant to do. Some of us have a wrong concept of God because we think that God's mission in our life is to give us happiness. I'm here to tell you that God's mission for this world is not happiness. His, his mission for this world is a rescue. He's on a rescue mission to rescue us from our sin. And God's position in our life is not to make us happy. Does God make me happy? He does make me happy. But he also gives me joy, which is a state of my soul in the midst of everything else falling apart around me. And for some of us, we've gotten so mad at God because things went wrong and we get mad at God. This wasn't supposed to happen and we get mad at God because we thought in our brain and our theology that God was meant for my happiness and everything around me has to be happy. Jesus says this, I said these things that you may have peace in this world, but in this world you will have tribulation. One translation says, you will have troubles. Pastor, can't you be more positive? Okay. I am positive you're going to have troubles in this world. I'm positive of it. But Jesus says, finish the verse. Because take heart. Because I've overcome the world. Take heart. We could process our pain with Jesus. Because I need to give a word to somebody today. I wrote this down this morning in my notes. I don't do that a lot. But the app, your presence of pain doesn't mean the absence of God. In fact, it's in our pain that God draws closer to us. Leads me toward number five, isolation and loneliness. Isolation and loneliness. Verse three, it says, Elijah left his servant. I'm like, McFly, what are you doing? This guy has stood with you. And had he been with you, you would not have felt like you're the only one. But how many of you know that sometimes when you're going through dark moments, that it seems like you just don't want to affect other people. You don't want to discourage other people. And so you do exactly what the enemy would love for you to do. It's just run from the body of Christ. Run from your marriage. Run from your family. In fact, this was the first problem in all of Scripture. Before the sin was made in the Garden of Eden, the first problem was loneliness. Because God looked and said, it's not good that man would be alone. But so far in the kingdom of God, we just push the idea of me versus we. In the kingdom of God, there is, it's not me, it's always we. Paul says it this way in Romans 12. It is with Christ's body, which is all of us. We are many parts of one body and we belong to each other. Pastor Dave, what does it mean about my darkness? Is that when you're in pain, I'm in pain too. And I don't have to understand your pain to feel your pain but I could be there for you. Oh, Pastor, I know somebody in pain. I don't know what to say. You don't have to know what to say. Just show up. Be fully present with them in the middle of it. Oh, I feel alone, but I'm here to say that in the moments you feel most alone, God is at his closest. He is. And lastly, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare will send you into the cave. We, sometimes we forget we're physical beings. Yes, we're emotional and mental beings, but we're also, there's a spiritual side of us. And the scripture says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we don't take it serious enough in the kingdom of God. We don't talk enough about spiritual warfare. All right, let me give kind of a, a scary illustration here. If I told you today 
that a stranger had the key to their house, the code to your house, and they're showing up tomorrow morning, what would you do? Somebody like, well, we just want to go home. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, like me. Detroit Dave's going to come out. No, I will be home. I will be waiting. Me and my friend Louisville will be ready. <laughs> this is not the, the peaceful pastor I thought he was going to be. But how many of you know that if you knew that somebody was going to come and to attack your family, you would not sleep a wink. You would be ready. But we've got a sleeping church that forgets that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We think the enemy is politics. It's not the enemy. We think the enemy is people, it's neighbors, it's individuals. That's not the enemy. Peter says this, be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Stay awake, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God so that you're able to stand against the devil's schemes. You know what the key words there are? You gotta put it on. You want the armor of God on? Put it on. It does no good sitting in the closet. Put it on. But my word to you this morning is simply this. Three thoughts, and then I promise you I'm finally done. I've said that like three times today. Number one, stop living at the level of your feelings. Feelings are important. They're wonderful. But they're the indicator lights for what's happening inside the engine. They don't drive the engine. The second thing is, the question is not what will feel good, but what is going to take me to the place I ultimately, ultimately need to be. Some of you this morning, you're not going to respond, want to respond to the altar because it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel awkward. But we've got to stop letting our feelings and some of the fracture order us around and recognize that God has got something in store for our healing. And to remind ourselves, lastly, that God does his best work in dark places. He just does. So this morning, I've got, we've got a special song that, that Pastor Olivia is going to sing and just sing over the congregation today. But I've got a special group of prayer warriors that are going to come up here. So if you've got a call from Janice, would you just stand and come forward and just line up across? This whole service could be for one person and it would be totally worth it. But would my special prayer team come forward? I asked Janice a question, would you get a special group together? And so she made some phone calls. And just would you stretch out, just so my OCD, it's, we're right heavy here. We need some left heavy going on here. But Pastor Olivia's gonna sing a song. And the song is simply called, You Are the One I Love. Because some of us in the room, we do feel like Elijah. Some of us have isolated ourselves. Some of us have just been destroying ourselves with self-talk. Some of us have been living life imbalances. Some of us have been going through comparison and we have been triggering darkness. And maybe today you're feeling anxiety. Maybe you're feeling some darkness this morning. What is so special about these individuals? They are all grandparents. All of them. And I'm telling you this, I've lost all my grandparents. I've got none left. And there is nothing like the prayer of a grandparent, and this is now more specifically, they're here for this reason, the hug of a grandparent. And maybe you're here, and I don't know, you could be their age, you could be my age, you could be much younger, but maybe you're here, and as Pastor Olivia sings, 
I'm asking everyone just would just go into prayer over everyone we know and over this congregation. If you're here this morning, honestly, you need a hug in your life. And you need someone to just to pray quietly over you. There's nothing like the prayer and the hug of a grandparent. Let me tell you this. Hugs, psychologically, it reduces, it will reduce your stress. Hugging should be at least five seconds. Some psychologists said 30, 20 seconds. I'm like, that would be awkward church moments right there. And number two, it will actually prolong your life. Or three, I should say three. So Pastor Olivia, would you just begin to sing over our congregation? If you're here today, maybe you're in a dark place. Maybe you've been toying with a dark place. Maybe this morning you just feel like you're in the cave. I don't know if this was for one person or if it was for 50 people. But you're just feeling like you're in a dark place and you may not know these individuals. That's okay. They're grandparents. They basically know everybody. But they've also known where you've been. And they know how to get out. So Pastor Olivia, what you're saying, I'm not going to ask anybody to stand. If you need prayer, you need a hug, just get up. Get out of your seat and come forward. Olivia, just sing it out. I can be real with you. Say anything and not be afraid. You made me and you like what you made. You made me and you don't make mistakes. I can be real with you. You take me just as I am. You choose me all over again. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. I don't have to prove anything. There's room at your table for me. I am the one you love. I am the one you you need to come forward would you come forward if you don't need to come forward would you just pray if you want to sing with pastor Olivia I want you to sing I want you to pray let's just turn this place to a furnace of, of just intercession this morning I know you're proud of me even though I don't deserve it sometimes no, I'm not a perfect child, but I still make my father smile. I know you're proud of me. You take me just as I am. You choose me all over again. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. I don't have to prove anything. There's room at your table for me. I am the one you love. I am the one you love. I am the one you Holy Spirit, we speak over hearts this morning. 
that may have walked in here feeling like they're in the cave. Maybe moments of trauma, moments of brokenness, Lord. Moments of disappointments. Things that maybe have left them embittered. Feeling like Elijah, I am the only one and they're in this cave and wondering, God, where you are at. Lord, what I speak over hearts in this moment, God, is restoration and healing. Hope and joy. Lord, a joy that maybe, maybe, maybe they thought was never possible ever again. A peace in their soul that they never thought they would see. Healing, God, that they thought they would never possess. Lord, I just speak the virtue of God over their lives and their hearts. Lord, I'm thankful that when we feel at our worst, that there's still room at your table for us. There's still places for us to sit. That when we're in the cave, God, that you don't tell us to stay there and to think about what we're dealing with, God, but you enter into the cave, and Lord, like Elijah, you come in, and you begin to challenge our hearts so that, Lord, that we don't have to live in that place anymore. We can walk out into the light of your providence. You meet us. You feed us. You give us rest, and you give us hope. So, Spirit of God, Lord, what I pray over this month is that we would have a month unlike any other month we've ever had at this church. We ask that there would be a healing anointing upon this place, upon the doors that when people walk in, that they would already begin to sense healing in their hearts. God, that as we're inviting people out this month, that God, you'll begin healing virtue, God, moving through hearts and invitations, God, and conversations, that we would see people set free in Jesus' name this month. We see deliverance in Jesus' name this month, oh God. That we would see things done that cannot be done by might nor by power, but only by the Spirit of God. That's what we pray and that's what we believe. And we speak it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, could you stand with me? These grandparents, they're just going to stay and they're going to linger down here. So if you still want to come on up, I'm just going to volunteer their time for at least another five minutes, at least. But this month, would you just, would you get a spirit of invitation? If you know people that need to come out and hear about hope, next week we're going to talk about empathy. And if you've never dealt with depression, that's going to be a phenomenal Sunday for you. About teaching us empathy and teaching us how to have the right eyes and who to see and who to help. I'm believing that God is just going to anoint hearts tomorrow, next week in such a way that we're going to send you out as vessels of healing into this world. But till then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he turn his face towards you. If you're in the cave today, may he turn his face towards you and grant you peace. In Jesus' name, love y'all. Have a great Sunday. God bless.